deeper down the rabbit hole. Saturday, 6 p.m., live in Toronto, Ontario, at the Queen City Curio Occult and Spiritual Store. Well, if you are playing the deeper down the rabbit hole drinking game again, you get to drink right at the yes, start of the show. Go ahead and drink. Although today's technical difficulty was really not a technical difficulty. I just didn't want to get towed. Is that yeah, a technical that, that's difficulty? That's totally reasonable. But is it a technical difficulty? Yeah. I don't know. Drink if you want know. to. Drink if, drink you, if want you want to. to. Saturday. So deeper Saturday. down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, it's Saturday. You drink if you want to. Deeper down the rabbit hole and the Queen City video vodka. Well, Videocast is live. We always make a point of being live. We started a live radio. We continue to have live, the live YouTube cast. And eventually, very soon, we won't say when exactly, we will be back on live radio, which is where we started, which is a little different than most podcasts because in live radio, what's said in live radio can't be taken back because it's live radio. That makes it a little different than a podcast, which is sometimes overproduced. That's our stick we're basically a live radio show. We've been a live radio show. We old school FM junkies when we first started five years ago. Mm -hmm. We plan to go back there as soon as we can. Bucking the whole popularity podcast. No, but we still have a podcast too. If you want to hear the episodes afterwards, after the live ones, we do have some, some post-production and then we do put the podcasts out later. So in case you're wondering... You can always attend live at 607 Gerard Street East, although our guests are not always in Toronto and not always, sometimes they are. But if you come here, we'll put our guests up on the big screen TV we have and kind of give you some tea and yeah. It's like a live, it we're is a live film in every regard. We're talking about Poison Path Herbal Book, so maybe not all of the teas we could make we would give you like today, but... But we'll give you safeties when you come here safe in person. Safeties. Safeties. You know, the kind of teas that might make you feel good, not kill you if you take too much, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Now, that said, if you were interested last week, because I was in quarantine land because it was a close exposure to COVID, if you're interested, the St. Michael ritual that we're going to do last Sunday will be tomorrow at 1.30. It is it's at 6 o'clock. What was that? Six o'clock, we were doing the pendulum workshop. So if you're looking forward to those things, you can stay for both. And that's what's going on. So if you listen to the show every week alive, you realize a couple weeks ago we had to kind of move that one week. So please, if you're interested in coming, you know, tomorrow, 1.30 is the time uh, since I am out of close contact COVID quarantine. Um, and I didn't get COVID, which was pretty you amazing. You Yeah. I know. And now, now you get to do them. Badass Michael ritual. So, right, right. I like Saint Michael. He's a good, he's a good guy. He's a good fellow. <laughs> so today, Zach, who is our secret guest? He's not secret. He's right here. He's not secret. He's right in the. He's right there. So our guest is Kobe Bryant. He's a practitioner of the poison path of occult herbalism and a cultivator of ethogenic herbs. He contributes to pagan archives at Valdosta University, writes regularly for the House of Twigs, and maintains a blog, uh, Poisoner's Apothecary, on Pathos Pagan. He teaches classes and online workshops on plant magic, baneful herbs, and traditional witchcraft. He lives in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I think there's a lot of people we've had from fort wayne indiana actually i know there's a lot we have a friend corvus who lives in fort wayne indiana and a couple other wow. people on the show from fort fort wayne indiana like like what's with fort wayne indiana like it's the best hidden epicenter of the the occult in the midwest but yet Apparently. there it is you good old fort there wayne i know i know corvus Nocturnum. I used to sell a lot of his books at a local bookstore downtown. It's actually my hometown. But I'm in Florida now, so a little bit different weather climate. <laughs> just a little bit. Just, just a little bit. Little bit. I mean, we just had a blizzard yesterday, so uh, <laughs> yes, you don't did. have that in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope. you don't have to worry about that in Florida. If you did, it's really bad, but you probably don't have to worry about that. Yeah, if it snows in Florida, we're probably all in big trouble. <laughs> this part, anyway. 
Sounds about right. So the poison path is somewhat controversial for a lot of different reasons. So let's start there. Like, I mean, why do you think it's so controversial? Although it's clear from any historical kind of reading mm-hmm. of traditional witchcraft, Greece, Greek witchcraft, you know, European witchcraft, any traditional, a lot of these herbs are, are appear again and again and again in every anthropological study of any European sort of witchcraft, even back to Greece. So why do you think nowadays this poison path has gotten so controversial? Well, I think the controversiality goes all the way back, you know, to its ancient history, even in ancient Greece, when we're first kind of starting to discuss using poison in warfare or charging specific, you know, criminal cases for poisoning and things like that, there's this discussion that starts to happen. And poison, because of its kind of secretive and subversive nature, and the fact that anyone with a poison arrow could even take down the strongest warrior, kind of has this connotation of being almost cowardly in a lot of like the ancient manuscripts and things. The discussion about it is always sort of, you know, in the open, this isn't something that we do, but, you know, secretly behind the scenes, if it's going to win a battle, you know, we're, we'll do it, but we won't talk about it. Or, you know, we'll concoct some big story about a, a sorceress or, or pharmacaea that's, you know, knowledgeable about these these plants that essentially becomes like the, the leader battle general you know, responsible for sort of dispersing this this biological weapon. So kind of a, a disconnection from the the men, the soldiers, the the politicians in, you know, putting it in the hands of these these women basically that had this knowledge already that were kind of sought out for for its various uses. So it's kind of had a, a controversial reputation, you know, all the way back and the um, the lines between poison and and medicine and psychoactive and aphrodisiac, you know, in the ancient world get really, really blurred. So there's a lot of these kind of, you know, you have pain, you have pleasure, you've got these psychoactive or entheogenic experiences. So just sort of like the whole gamut of like the most intense, um, you know, human emotions and experience. Which I was an interesting thing that I kind of, as a follow-up question, a lot of these, like some are so so well known, like deadly nightshade. Everyone knows that's a poison. Mm-hmm. I think if you don't know it's a poison, it's a poison. <laughs> now you do. Now you do. <laughs> right. But I mean, I think I think most of the people who listen to our show probably know henbane is a poison, and some of these other herbs that uh, you mentioned are poison. But the other side of this is that an undercurrent of the book is that one of the ideas is that many of these poisons are either ethnogenic medicines or medicines outright if used in different quantities and maybe you can speak to that because you have an elk you have you have a big apothecary which is you know not is magic but it's also medicine Mm -hmm. yeah so i make all of my formulations that i sell on the apothecary and they're all different ritual entheogenic formulations made specifically with plants in the nightshade family though i do work with some other plant and fungi allies, uh, essentially, you know, kind of giving people different tools and different ways to connect with and work with these plant allies on a spiritual level, but also providing formulations that are not only safe for entheogenic use, but also have, you know, enough plant material in them to have a therapeutic effect when people use them. Mm-hmm. Right. So why did so... you use the nightshade? group of plants, particularly as sort of the primary focus of your magical praxis? Um, So nightshades are kind of the poster children for the poison path. And I think that's really just because of their their versatility. So nightshades could be everything, tobacco, eggplant, pepper, tomato, potato, all the way to black nightshade, deadly nightshade, mandrake, angel's trumpets. So they're the most versatile. Uh, They would be what we consider poisonous plants um, because some of them are definitely capable of killing us in the right circumstances, Um, but they all have these amazing medicinal properties and then would also be considered as master plant spirits or 
power plants, allies, depending on you know, the different areas that we're we're looking at. So they are, you know, essentially kind of the the meat of everything that the poison path is. They've got the medicinal component, you know, pain relief, anti anti-inflammatory, anti-spasmodic, nidriatic, dilates your pupils. You know, have all of these these dramatic medicinal effects, but then at the right dosages, they can also be ecstatic and aphrodisiac and stimulating. Um, they can be sedative. They can be uh, what we would describe as hallucinogenic, but is ten- technically more of a delirium with hallucinations. But they are they're the plants of the the medieval witches flying ointment, and that is a very kind of romantic idea that has sort of wrapped itself up within poison path lore. And so they just really kind of represent a lot of, I think, what people are looking for too when they come to the poison path, because it's generally something that people find through, you know, some type of, of folk magic practice or witchcraft practice. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, jumping into the poison path specifically, what got you started? Because, I mean, you do have an herbal background also. So was it just something that derived from the study of herbology and something kind of piqued your interest? Or what's the story behind that? Yeah, so I've always kind of been a plant person. And I've always been interested in witchcraft and magical practice in general, the spirit world, altered states of consciousness. You know, I took a lot of, of psychedelics and, and other things in high school in my early 20s. And then it all just kind of like smushed into one thing, <laughs> you know, so different, different psychedelic experiences and things like that, that I've had then. And, and since then that have sort of like nudged me along this direction or what we would call like different plant medicine experiences, um, you know, it was through, again, through, through European witchcraft, folk magic, animism, whatever you want to call it, that was what I was studying at the time, which was basically what uh, caused me to kind of discover that people were actually working with these plants. And there's a lot of reference, you know, in the traditional witchcraft literature, you know, in, in regard to different indigenous cultures around the world and the various different ways they work with these plant allies and, you know, the different parallels that we can draw from that as magical practitioners. Gotcha. There we go. So you mentioned, go ahead, Andrea. Like, so like, so all those things could go to normal or herbal work too. Right. But particularly nightshades, well, besides the tomato and, and, and peppers, which, you know, are awesome. And eggplant. particularly nightshade and some like henbane and the, kind of these poison things was there a certain like is there a certain aspect of the duality of these plants that that really kind of brings out something in you like that you really it kind of brings out what you think is like the essence of plant magic like this this double-sidedness the light and dark aspects more more present all, all plants probably have this is true a light and dark aspects depending on what they're mixed with or how you how you prepare them but is this something that like with particular poison path herbs that that seems to really stand out as kind of as a a real kind of like calling i mean you mentioned that in your book too that all these herbs are light and dark but is this just like kind of the the shining star what really makes you attracted to those type of herbs yeah so what is attracting us to them you know specifically poisonous plants is is something to pay attention to you know there, there's a reason that we're attracted to the plants that we are attracted to whether they are you know lemon balm or deadly nightshade or a cactus or venus flytrap i mean there's a reason for that and even just talking about tomato you know it's it's innocuous enough but there was a period in time where people in europe believed that tomatoes were extremely deadly, you know, just a diabolical plant, another, you know, member of the nightshade family that we shouldn't have anything to do with. And that kind of goes to this idea. There was an aristocratic family that was eating tomatoes before tomatoes were really a thing and they wound up poisoning themselves. Long story short, they were eating their tomatoes off of these pewter plates that had a bunch of lead in it. So they died from lead poisoning and the Tomatoes took the rap for that. And that is kind of like my main example of my, my purpose in all of this. You know, all of my life has always been about 
um, exploring both the light and the dark. Um, that's always been a very, very just prominent sort of a theme for me. And the poison path really seems to embody that, you know, poison as this concept, as this sort of red flag or instinctual thing that gets our attention, you know, that is, is really all it is. It's an attention grabber. But there's, you know, something deeper there. There's more individual spirit, individual chemical components and individual ways that these plants are working that to just throw them all in this category of poisonous and then not really pay any attention to them is like doing a huge disservice to, you know, magical practitioners, to medicinal herbalism, you know, and the, the poison path is just kind of a very, you know, rebellious and, and you know, in some cases we consider it Luciferian or, or antinomian going against the, the status quo and just reminding people that like nightshades especially are everybody's plant. They grow all over the world and they're capable of all of these amazing things and getting the, the knowledge and the information out there and kind of almost like desensitizing people to this idea of kind of breaking through this construct of poison by really, really delving into it deeply and understanding, you know, what are the, the metaphysical implications of poison? What does it mean to actually work with and ingest a poisonous plant on an energetic level? You know, so there's all of these like deeper layers to it. <clears throat> right. Well, that's so, a great question. <laughs> you, you just asked a great question. What does it mean yeah. to take uh, these herbal <laughs> plants on an energetic level? That's a great question. What does that mean, actually, when someone, in, maybe not even imbibe some of these, like, I mean, most of them you can imbibe in very small doses and be okay. Even Datura, which is probably, Datura is probably the most hallucinogenic and the most unforgiving of dabblers, actually, in my opinion. But certainly nightshades and small doses you can take. And actually, that I think people don't know that that was often used as a beauty aid yeah. to dilate your eyes in low, low doses which makes you look more attractive. Don't go out and take nitrogen. Don't do it. <laughs> like Don't without it. really understanding what the doses are. And even that's probably just a bad idea unless it's done in a real spiritual context. Yes. Uh, so that, that disclaimer <laughs> aside, what is it like to take the energetic, uh, energetic essence of the plants in that are poison plants? Yeah, so that's really important because energetically they're essentially capable of causing death or causing like a shutdown or disruption of the organism. And that is very dose dependent, but on an energetic level, we are still bringing something into our, our energy environment, into our body that is, is capable of causing death and has caused death. And in, in a sense is antithetical to the very energy that is running through us. So that's why they get this rap of being dark and scary and Saturnian, because they reflect an opposite kind of energy to what we would see if we look at like a sunflower or a lily or, or something like that. So when we bring this energy into our body, <clears throat> it can do a few different things. Um, it can initiate different cathartic healing experiences. You know, they are ruled by Saturn and you may be familiar with astrology and the Saturn return, or just think of like the tower card. It's like this destructive, chaotic change sort of period. And so by bringing these Saturnian plants capable of poisoning us into our energy system, we're able to sort of disrupt it enough to cause a shift or a change. Um, and that could be for spiritual purposes. It could be to release trauma, free yourself from addiction, you know, any number of, of things that, that people would work with different plant allies for. Um, on an occult level, it's, it's very, very transgressive and very taboo. And even working with, you know, a flower essence or something that's very, very low dose, you are crossing a, a threshold, you know, subconsciously, like we know that this is a poisonous plant. So there's a little part of your subconscious that kind of is like, you know, freaking out and essentially you're, you're transgressing that and creating this sort of contradictory state. And that's a very powerful kind of liminal state to be in. So as sort of an initiatory right, <clears throat> you know, there's kind of that willingness to interact with that 
power that is the other. I couldn't think of anything that is more representative of that otherness than a poisonous plant. I mean, Saturn just gets a bad rap. Everyone hates Saturn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a thing. We, we a all thing. know. Everyone hates Saturn. It's just like the greater maleficent planet. Like everyone just right. dislikes it. So any any plant that's even close to Saturn, everyone's going to poo-poo that. But I think you bring up some interesting points, like in a real specific way. You know, if you're using Saturnal plants to destroy addiction, mm -hmm. that's not very different than using radiation to destroy cancer. Like from an occult perspective or or using um you know using other drugs that are like that are somewhat toxic but more toxic to disease state or more toxic to an obstacle state like like for instance an addiction state or or a habit state or or even parts of yourself that are somewhat misadapted to your current realities like what you were describing basically get allows you to kind of cherry not cherry pick but you can use these herbs these this other herb this other to bring this other thing in and destroy those things that aren't working in you like like it's a it's not necessarily like i mean you're right if you take it without guidance it could be the tower card but sometimes Absolutely. you need that too yeah, yeah i mean sometimes you just need initiatory action you need an initiatory act to take the house of cards and shatter that house of cards and and let the cards fall so you can pick up things and kind of build a new life because it just wasn't working. But it's also kind of like in what you were mentioning was there was a whole bunch of like specific, like addiction was one that I caught real fast. Yeah. You could specifically target these things and like, or target like a fear or target, you know, maybe an inhibition or target a anything that's like holding you back with some of these Saturn herbs. I mean, my experience with the Tura personally, like it it's a, a plant teacher that like literally forces you to challenge your fears um, or get sick. It's like it's not very subtle about that in any capacity. <laughs> even energetically, it's get over your fear or you could or spend the next three days throwing up. And that's without even ingesting it. Oh, see, yeah. you're laughing because it sounds familiar, right, Kobe? <laughs> Yes, Datura is the one for confronting fears. <laughs> but this idea is, is kind of important, right? Because we're talking about the poison path and how does it actually, why would someone bother to do this? But if you could get over an addiction or years of trauma by Makes a difference. using one of these substances correctly, probably with supervision and the right dosage, the, all the warnings apply. Like just don't absolutely don't take a heroic dose of nightshade and think uh, your problems might. You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But even the energy, like, and that's important. I mean, even small doses with the energy is enough to precipitate that, and that's what you were talking about. I mean, maybe you could talk about in your apothecary some examples. Of, maybe you don't have to name names, but some clients that you kind of use some of these herbs and what herbs to cure these kind of actual real world issues that people will face through magical means, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, there's so many different approaches that you can take and there is, you know, already so much benefit from working with psychedelic mushrooms, psilocybin, amanita, you know, even just tobacco ceremonially, you know, so a lot of times some of these poison plant allies are often, you know, a last resort or something that, that someone is, is specifically called to, you know, so kind of within that, there's all of these other supportive plants as well that can, you know, kind of help in combination to some of the more baneful ones. Um, you know, like just as simple as like giving people cacao or flock foxglove for the heart, heart medicine. You know, super important, not something that we would typically think of as as being baneful, uh, but a lot of the baneful herbs do have a really pronounced kind of effect on the heart, box love in particular. So it's really awesome for all kinds of emotional healing, you know, breakups, loneliness, any kind of, you know, heart opening work that needs to happen for, for processing various things. And that could be done through, you know, flower essences or just growing the fox gloves. I've had one here that's kind of been with me, you know, through the past month, going through a lot of these processes. So a lot of times they will just sort of show up and, and stick around when you need them. 
So the poison path itself utilizes mainly three triangles, a triangle of three planets as the core kind of the core path, you know, which is Mercury, Venus, and Saturn. And maybe you could explain in the kind of poison path how these three work together or how they work in opposition and together and synergetically, sort of all together, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a tool that I came up with when I started to really kind of notice this pattern with, you know, the plants on the poison path, specifically looking at their their magical and ceremonial uses that a lot of them seem to, of course, manifest all of these different planetary and elemental influences, but kind of the, the stream running through all of it is Saturn, Venus, and Mercury, which we could break down into <clears throat> Saturn being anything that is dark, necromantic, malefic magic, baneful workings, anything like that, kind of representative of the, the horned god of witchcrafts, that more masculine kind of dynamic. And then we can hop over to the other side, uh, represented by Venus, which is the <clears throat> sort of the seductive, aphrodisiac, hypnotic qualities that a lot of these plants can exhibit, as well as their use in love magic, manipulation, you know, seduction, different things like that. And so that kind of embodies the more feminine side that I compare to the witch queen and then sort of their, <clears throat> what you could call like a divine child or, or shapeshifter would fall into the category of mercury. And mercury would be anything that would be, you know, psychedelic, other world travel, you know, very much the, the shapeshifter and, and entheogenic Kind of side of all of it so those are sort of the three main like planetary correspondences or characteristics that you can uh, trace to almost all of the poisonous plants so do you see that the the saturn and then venus are sort of like an oppositional kind of relationships that spawn off a third like the saturn usually being death and venus usually being associated with sometimes with new birth and and fertility and well connection which death ends and then the child being somewhere in between obviously most mercury gods are some sort of psychopomps too at the same time where they sort of traverse between life and death yeah yeah and i would kind of almost look at saturn and venus as like two sides of the same coin and that's often like found within the duality of the poisonous plants they've got the ability to cause death, but then a lot of them can also make you really horny. And they've been used in love magic, love potions, you know, all sorts of like aphrodisia. So sex and death are kind of like this eternal interplay. Essentially, you know, it's the way in to our world and the way out of our world. Um, so they're both kind of like threshold doorways um, in that sense. <clears throat> um, so we could work through like, like a death state as an altered state of consciousness in the same way that we could work with like an aphrodisiac or an ecstatic state in an altered state of consciousness um, because they both kind of approach that liminal place. Hmm. So what's an example of a herb that, that does both? Like if used in too little or too great, like one too little usually would be the aphrodisiac state too much, obviously is uh, obviously usually the death state. <laughs> Yeah, actually, all of the Solanacea, <clears throat> the the big ones, Datura, Henbane, Mandrake, Deadly Nightshade, they're all kind of on a spectrum. So like the lower doses <clears throat> being more, more warming, more stimulating, and then we go into aphrodisiac. You know, so literally like getting all of the, the blood flowing and these ex excitatory states. And then we kind of cross over that and get into a little bit more of like the aggression, delirium, and then beyond that would be like coma and then death. And death is, is really something that only comes, you know, at this point, now that we have modern medicine, you know, if you like locked yourself away or weren't able to, to make it somewhere to, to get help, you know, so that's, that's kind of the, the most extreme scenario. But they're very much on a spectrum and are capable of, of doing any and all of those things. So how does the chemistry actually work in the body to kind of produce that? Like, like what happens at a low dose that makes it stimulating, but at high dose would kill you with all these, this class of plants? Well, the 
active components of the nightshade family, the tropane alkaloids, of uh, which there are a handful of different ones. They all behave relatively similarly. It's the same alkaloids that make the plants medicinal that also make them potentially deadly. And that's all dependent on how they're used, how they are absorbed or ingested into the body. I lose my train of thought, but um, shoot, lose my train of thought. Where was I going with that? Um, I'll come back. <laughs> I'll come yeah, back. That's yeah, usually dude. why we <laughs> help people to go get a shot. If you lose the train of thought on the deeper down rabbit hole, someone take a shot. My radio, take a shot, take a shot right now on the deeper rabbit hole. Drink again. Oh, take God. a shot. <laughs> Live radio, that's what happens. Live radio, just take a shot, everyone, right now. So there you go. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Speaking of, of poisons, there, right? <laughs> Well, actually, it's interesting because one of the things we can talk about to go off and not lose the train of thought is alcohol yeah. is often used as the preparation tool for many of these herbs. And maybe you could Absolutely. you could talk about making tinctures with alcohol. I mean, everyone thinks alcohol is like, yeah, we just take a drink. But olden times, alcohol had more serious uses. And even then, they would usually yeah. mix. And even then, in medieval times, they would often mix poison herbs with alcohol for more mm -hmm. potent alcohol. Yes, they've absolutely been used as potentiators, specifically mandrake and henbane in different psychoactive wines, meads, honey, things like that. And kind of where I was going before I lost my train of thought with the, the tropane alkaloids, what makes them potentially poisonous is that they are anticholinergic, uh, which means that they disrupt a, a specific neurotransmitter uh, that regulates a lot of our really, really important bodily functions. So that's why it's good for so many things, but also why it is so potentially poisonous, because it's literally messing with our brain chemistry. <clears throat> Alcohol is important because it helps to extract the tropane alkaloids most efficiently. Uh, so we can use that in the alcohol intermediary method or different sort of enhancing techniques to push the extraction of tropane alkaloids. If we're trying to make an oil infusion you know, for different salves or ointments or you know, just ritual oils, the alcohol can help to kind of facilitate that. I typically, typically do it a little bit differently. I don't work with a lot of poison plant tinctures. I did a belladonna spagyric tincture. Sometimes I'll put tinctures in my ointments, but generally I'm using like some type of, of acid or alcohol process to, to pull everything out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with uh, poisonous herbs in particular, are you using buffer herbs um, to, to mitigate the poisons or are you mostly controlling the poison mechanisms chemistry-wise with a dosage? It's mainly through dosage. So everything that I make available to the general public is based on therapeutic dosages, mainly from the British Pharmacopoeia, the American Herbal Dispensatory, some different you know, like pre-20th century precedents for how people have been working with these plants medicinally without killing themselves. <clears throat> so that's kind of the the threshold that I've I've put everything at just to, you know, create sort of a, a standard, I guess, so people can, you know, try them and get a feel for what to expect and then sort of move on from there. So it's just the first little baby step. Gotcha. And then is there any delivery process you prefer this in? Is like, you know, since there's so many different ways you can work with herbs, is like, do you prefer this in an incense form for magical uses? Do you prefer the tinctures or decoctions? <sighs> Mainly with the poisonous plants, I'm either working with them as an incense or smoking blend or in some type of an infused oil. And that could be either just a ritual oil or as like an actual solidified ointment. I personally prefer the infused oils because there's no wax issue. So we don't have to worry about beeswax, carnauba wax. We're literally just getting the one to 10 infused oil and then they can put that on your skin, the wax tends to, to get in the way a little bit. And I think the oils are a little bit more versatile. 
but you know the witch's ointment is is very much i think like a symbolic tool of magical practice as much as like an athame or chalice or anything else it's just embodies so many different things and then using the different methods i mean you're mentioning incense here but have what did you find as the impact magically speaking depending on the method you used like did you find that change the results there for you or what was happening I guess it kind of just depends on the the situation or or the scenario. You know, if I'm doing more like dream working or or inner working, where I'm just kind of like laying there or in like a trance state or meditative state, then I'm generally going for like flying ointments, infused oils, and and topical application. You know, in more of like ceremonial kind of a context, keeping things things moving, and you know we're praying to specific spirits or bringing specific energies in, then I'm generally working more in like incense or smoking blends. So any type of like spirit communication, necromancy, divination of any sort, I'll typically work with incense blends, but the the smoking blends are, are just really great for, for ceremony in general. Um, so it could be kind of combined with if you're doing any other kind of plant medicine ceremony um, to enhance or to call other energies in. And for example, to answer your earlier question about kind of like mitigating different poisonous properties, there's one blend that I work with pretty regularly that is Datura, Amanita, and then a couple just like filler herbs. But the Datura and the Amanita together specifically kind of synergize one another and increase their potency. Um, but the tropane and the muscarinic alkaloids also kind of counteract each other. So some of the negative side effects that you would get from Datura, like blurry vision, dry mouth, hot, flashy skin, not being able to go to the bathroom is counteracted by the Amanita, which makes you really spitty and really sweaty and you have to go to the bathroom all the time. So it's literally like opposite kind of chemistry. So bringing them together super helpful and those are both really really you know powerful and, and important plant allies i would say datura is probably you know, one of the most significant ethnobotanical plants in the americas and you know amanita i mean i would like the world over you know that thing's all over the place so very important they work well together <laughs> so what was your most powerful experience with working with one of these plants. What happened and, and what was the plant? Mm. <laughs> the very, very first one happened during my Saturn return. So I would have been probably anywhere between like 27 and 29. Um, it was Deadly Nightshade and Henbane. It was actually Halloween night. So I decided I wanted to do like a little Samhain ritual and you know, just communicate with the dead and just kind of take take advantage of like the extra magical energy of the night. So I, I took a couple of belladonna leaves, deadly nightshade, a trope of belladonna, and I made a tea out of those, which is exactly what everybody says not to do because ingesting them in that way is, is very, very, very different from ingesting in, in any other type of a way. So definitely don't recommend trying that because it was a very uncomfortable experience where I lost the use of my eyesight close up for about 48 hours. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I was unable to urinate for about eight hours, despite like the most intense like need to do that. So that was bothersome. Uh, of course, you get like the red skin, the hot flashes. There's just a lot of uncomfortable stuff that comes along with nightshade intoxication and that's probably why people are opting for cannabis or magic mushrooms because it's more comfortable it's more fun about probably maybe two three hours into it was when i think the the peak started to happen so with with nightshade alkaloids they really sneak up to you especially when you've ingested them in the form of a tea so it takes time for that to get through your body and your ph and everything to do what it does which is another thing that makes them so dangerous <clears throat> um, but i was i was talking to people that were not there i was having conversations like all night long literally like seeing people 
from my life and talking to them and then looking over and then they're not there. Or I would be in the closet responding to somebody and nobody's in the closet. The hallucinations were rather dark and sinister, uh, which is like a typical, you know, descriptor of, of nightshade visuals. The, the shadows really take on kind of a life of their own. And that's another thing with tropane alkaloids. You know, they're very much, the visuals are happening in the darkness. So you'd see like all of these shadow people that would just kind of like peek around light poles, trees, corners, just everywhere. They were just everywhere. Shadow people coming out of everywhere. By about five o'clock in the morning, when I was finally starting to kind of come down a little bit and become aware to the fact that I was hallucinating because you don't actually have the awareness that you are seeing things when you're seeing them. You think that you're, you know, I'm talking to you like I'm talking to you right now. And then a few minutes later, you're like, oh, that would never happen. It's really, really weird. I did encounter a couple of people that were real in like the early morning hours and she scared the shit out of me. I, pro I probably looked way more terrifying than she did. There was this lady that was out walking her dog in the, the apartment complex parking lot and I just kind of walked by and it was still dark out. So it was Halloween, like 5 a.m. And her face just like shifted into the most like what well, all I could describe it as like a demonic just kind of like visage and that was really really disturbing so it was definitely like an intense plant medicine experience and definitely like a you know they they were not kidding when they said what these plants were capable of doing and you know even just a tiny little dose that I had done sent me into you know like two days of of just this weirdness but it really kind of like acted as this catalyst where I was already researching and interested and, and writing about poisonous plants, but it wasn't really my main, main thing. And that happened. And then within, by Thanksgiving, my entire life fell apart and I had to relocate across the country to a place that I was really, really not happy about having to go to and it led to kind of one of the most, what I would say, darkest or difficult times of my life. But it was also during that dark period, through that winter solstice, that I started putting together my book. So it kind of was the, the driving force and sort of has been, I think, the, the guiding force behind all of this for me uh, as my like personal plant spirit ally. So Deadly Nightshade is, is really what started it all. And even though I work with a lot of different plant allies, it is and kind of always will be sort of that the main voice that is is in my ear, um, just because it, it embodies so much of me and who I am and the type of magic that I'm practicing and you know, just all of it. So. So after that experience, like, how did it go from this terrifying faces turning demonic, shadows moving and talking to you? into that next step that you described like besides the fact that you described like a the life Ragged falling shift. apart you clearly <laughs> yeah. attribute to nightshade like you clearly clearly kind of attribute the tower kind of falling to nightshade in this particular example but how did you make the carthetic jump to understand the spiritual process that occurred in that super dark experience that led you to embrace nightshade as a sort of your primary plant ally yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I, I realized what was happening at the time because everything happened so quickly and I was living, you know, I was living in Florida. I had the experience in Florida and then within, you know, three, three and a half weeks after that, I uprooted and, you know, shot across the country and essentially, you know, that was like all I had left, uh, you know, so it was sort of just throw myself into that or like throw myself off of a bridge. So I decided that, you know, I was gonna, I was, I was gonna take what I wanted and, and do what I came here to do. And so I made a deal and haven't looked back since. Uh, but I also have not had any deadly nightshade tea since. <laughs> but you know, the days after that experience were, were very intense. You definitely know and feel that you have encountered something primal and different, something that you would even describe as dark. You know, so there was just this intense need, like 
in the days after to just like be out in the sun and be by the water. And I just felt like completely like depleted and drained. And it just like almost like sucked everything out of me. And I just needed to like soak up some light somehow. Um, and that's a really important thing too, you know, importance of balance. <laughs> well, it makes perfect sense too. I mean, if, yeah. if your old energy was completely depleted and it, sort of was destroyed in the process of the nightshade ritual basically a death ritual like all you can do is be reborn as something new like there's really no other path either that or you stay dead right i mean yeah yeah that's the choice having done those rituals that's usually the choice given to you after a tower card is or a ritual with a dark other or aggressive dark spirit who's challenging a lot of your assumptions um right off the bat like yeah, that's that's it. That's it in a nutshell. So it took you. It probably took you a couple months, and then you used the book writing process as actually a, as almost a healing building process to come back from the first nightshade handbang ritual, um, sort of like to create meaning out of like the void or the abyss of that ritual. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah, it's been a super, you know, healing and. Just a big process of, of self-discovery, you know, all of this unfolding and, you know, trying to then, like, digest everything that's happened in here and then spit it back out for, for it to help other people is, is sometimes a, a daunting task, but that's what, what I'm doing. <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> so well. working with, go, go ahead, Andrea. Go ahead, go ahead, Zach. No. <laughs> so radio work at collision. Live, live radio, radio collision. collision. Bam! Drink. Bam! Drink. <laughs> so with your personal experience then, I mean, that was a pretty carthetic type of experience. And in your book also, you do have sigils. So how was your personal experience deriving those sigils then? Yeah, so with each one of those, I created them in simple ritual process, just basic plant spirit meditation, or depending on the glyph that I'm making, uh, you know, I'm not like, in, I'm not doing anything with poison hemlock or anything like that. So some of them are more an indirect method, but they're created in Congress with the plant spirit and essentially made into occult symbols that can be used to tap into the different energies, qualities, and characteristics that each plant spirit manifests and carries. So they're made out of their Latin scientific nomenclature and broken down and then put back together to create a symbol um, that people could then meditate on. I'm using ritual to literally summon the plant spirits or different, you know, directing the different energies, essentially, however, you know, you would use a, a bind rune or sigil or, or any kind of occult symbol to tap into what it represents. So now that all said, we get to this point every show where if we're doing the show wow. right, it seems like zero time has passed. And it is, in fact, seven o'clock already. So do you have any upcoming classes or events that you'd like to promote? Yeah, I have a lot coming up, actually. Don't have any individual classes that I have scheduled right now. Uh, I put those on my website, thepoisonersapothecary.com. But I do have a really, really big event coming up in a couple of weeks that I'm super excited about, which is the Botanica Obscura Conference. So this is a week-long international plant spirituality conference that is kind of the crossroads of the poison path psychedelic spirituality, plant medicine from around the world, and just a bunch of, of really enthusiastic plant people working with and, and doing different things with different plants and fungi. So that's happening. We've got uh, 30 plus presenters throughout the week. So I'll be there hosting that. And then afterwards, kind of kick off my um, summer <clears throat> tour bouncing around the U.S. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, if you ever bounce over to Canada, you know, let us know. Toronto, come to our store, right? Come visit us. I would love uh, to. You. One of my best friends from, fuck, the one that starts with an M. Mississauga. There's Minnesota. Oh. There's Michigan. There's, 
No, There's Montana. Like the, no, I think so Montreal. 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 Oh, Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Montreal. Yeah, sorry, Montreal. <laughs> Canada states. Like, well, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. My geography is much better than that. It's, it's all right. Live radio. Yeah. Live radio. Montreal. Yeah. So close. It's great. Great. Yeah. yeah. So if you come up to Toronto, uh, now we ourselves have a whole bunch of things coming up. Zach, besides the Michael Richard, we already talked about that. We talked about that. I mean, right. but for people, you can become a sponsor and join tomorrow. It'll be recorded and it'll be online and in person if you're in Toronto and really don't want to miss that. Because when Andrea does Archangel work, it's home and hard. Well, so, particularly this we, angel, right? Well, this and, and Cassio, mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at. And yes. Samuel. Okay, maybe I'm good at a few of them. The last okay. annual ritual, people <laughs> cried. Yes. So a, okay, a lot maybe I'm... of audio rituals people cry. Speaking about that Venus Saturn Mercury <laughs> conjunction piece. But then so, the following week, I mean... because we the following week weekend next Sunday we also have another ritual. Ganesh, Ganesh ritual for breaking obstacles. So you got hey. obstacles in your life. So the Golden Tree Sangha. Golden Tree Saga Ritual Group is going to perform a Ganesh home. It's a Ganesh Puja. Ganesh Puja, yes. Yes. It's and not then, a homo. No, Matt, it's not a homo. Oh, man. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there with the ventilation system. So after that, week after, we got figurine candles on candle magic, essentially, for emotional healing and love. And love and spells. after that, and love spells. And love and spells. It's after, both. It's both. And it's then, love speaking spells. on the love theme... We got Guan Yin right after that on the 26th. So we got a whole list of things coming up all the way right now. We're booked up all the way till about mid-April, and there's going to be more every week. So we got different workshops right. and if different you're, rituals. If you're not quite interested in going to church on Easter Sunday, we will be performing a Christos ritual, a Gnostic Jesus ritual. No joke. No joke. As, as opposed to Chris, you know, the normal Christ is risen ritual. So in Gnostic Christianity, Christ is a spirit that you can call and it can imbue you with the messenger of God's spirit, essentially, or messenger of wisdom, actually, is probably more correct. Yeah. Um, and we're going to call that spirit on Easter Sunday, which is probably totally appropriate and heretical totally and appropriate at the same time. The best things at once. The best things. Oh, it's, it's a totally appropriate. It's not quite Republican Jesus or conservative Jesus. But it's totally appropriate to call that spirit on Easter, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So for <laughs> I know. people that I mean, like Kobe to likes all these And right. And then, of course, like we're doing pendulums this Sunday. But every week, every other week, we're going to have basic witchcraft classes. So if you're here, mm-hmm. we need you to help uh, keep our lights on. Become a sponsor today. And then we'll kind of get you access to the recordings. You can come live. There's different levels of sponsorship. If you only want to attend one month and maybe check out our thousand, no, fifteen hundred plus library that's publicly available for everyone. If you're a sponsor, you could check it out. Any of the books, and right now, Kobe's yeah, book that. is part of our library yeah, that Kobe. you could check out and see it for yourself. So you can come check it out and see, you know, if yourself. We as a store have been trying to get Henbane, Nightshade, and all the Mandrake and some all of these things mentioned in this book for a while for since some of us also like poison path herbs a lot too much yeah way too yeah, much we, we um, little tougher in canada than the united states to get those herbs but we're working on it we're working on it since toronto is a very permissive environment for cannabis and and even now for psychobin mushrooms and in, in a lot of places so we're working on it for spiritual purposes and try to get a spiritual exception to get those herbs in our actual store if in case you're wondering we have an apothecary with about 450 herbs some of which we use for chinese medicine some of which for magical purposes so come on by that said we've been announcing it we're going to announce it again july 1st is the start of our three-year journey into the goetia where we're going to do a goetic spirit every two weeks and have a workshop have training classes for each spirit and we're going to do each spirit do a full ritual with you and we're going to do shema forest too so we're going to do the names of god to get some balance in there dragon rose style and basically some demon demon work from a demonology point of view 
every two two weeks. weeks. So nobody in Toronto is hardcore enough to do that. Like <laughs> they might say they're an occult shop or a cult store, but you don't see them doing that's a commitment. Working. That's a commitment right. that we're putting in. So so right. So clearly, clearly come here if you're in Toronto. And that said, as part of our customer service kind of thing, we always tell people we have multiple shrines here open to the public. You do not have to actually buy anything to use the shrines. We have an ancestor shrine in the hall, and now our hallway is basically haunted because of the shrine we built. We've had poltergeist effects already. And we put the shrine up. We've I consider myself you know. to be a pat myself on the back, say I did a good job on this shrine. Uh, we've got poltergeist activity, footsteps, voices, shadows moving, all of the above in our hallway up on the fourth floor of 607 Gerard Street. So come check it out. That's the first shrine that we have. We also have a Buddhist shrine that we're building. The first Buddha has been in, has actually been empowered through multiple ceremonies, which was the Sun Buddha, Danichi, Creator Buddha, Light of Heaven Buddha, sort of the first kind of creator spirit there. And Quen Yen is going to be the next Buddha to actually, and Bodhisattva to appear on a Buddhist altar. The wish shrine that we were making, our Shinto wish shrine, still has been delayed, but we're going to enchant to make that go faster to have that wish shrine up and running. So three shrines, and probably we'll have another. Uh, we'll probably have a, a more ceremonial level shrine once we negotiate. Well, once we start, once we start going into July, yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably let everyone be able to access the stones that we're going to empower. So if you want, even if we're not there. You know, because we're basically we're on the fourth floor, so we don't have to worry about the public really coming in and stealing shit. That doesn't happen here. So we have some shrines in the hallway, and we'd love to see you. That's though you don't have to buy anything. Even if you call us and we're just here and we're here a lot, even when we're, we're closed, we we'll just be like, oh yeah, it's eleven thirty at night. We're here. Sure, come in in the hallway and use the shrine. You need we'll to buzz do your you work. Do your thing. We'll, we'll go. We'll go. Let you in and just go back to eating our ch chicken. Or whatever fried chicken, whatever we're eating at that point. Korean time. fried chicken. Korean fried chicken, right? Because we're used to Chinatown. So, yeah. so come on by, come on by. We have Kobe's book. We have two copies of Kobe's book actually, because I actually bought yep. one previous, previously to previously, uh, previously to getting one from the publisher. So because I wanted to read it myself, and then all of a sudden we had Kobe come on the show. And it pops up independently because me and Zach weren't talking. So there we go. Yes. There you go. So you can kind of check out the book. Um, here it is if you're on the video. If you're watching, and well, not watching, but listening, it's The Poison Path, Bayful Herbs, Medicinal Nightshades, and Ritual Ethogens. Like, again, if you're in Toronto, check it out. Pretty good book. It's got a lot of information. Yeah. We've been talking about that for the last hour. And so there you go. That's all we have coming up. There you go. And we're going to reschedule the Fox Ritual soon, too. That we will. That we will. So with Sorry. that, everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, yeah, Kobe, stay and on. we'll see you next week. Hope we stay on for us real fast. We're going to take us on through with the outro, and then we'll, we'll kind of touch base real fast. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole is sponsored by the Queen City Curio and Apothecary in Toronto, Ontario, proudly in East Chinatown. Our store is at 607 Gerard Street East. Unit 401. Just take the elevator up to the fourth floor and we're right there. We carry the finest spiritual goods for all spiritual paths. Whatever you are into, we can help. Check out our full public library of occult materials with over a thousand books. Accessible anytime the store is open. Check us out online at queencitycurio.ca. Be sure to leave a wish at our wish shrine right outside our door. You never know, it may just come to pass.